invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 20 today. We continue there in our study of God's Word. And we've just walked through over the last few weeks, you may recall, uh, the Ten Commandments. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments and at God's instructions to His rescued people. And as we walk through a passage like that, like Exodus chapter 20, I don't know about you, but it's easy to be consumed with a list of rules and instructions and commands that God has given His people to follow that He expects of us. And if we're not careful, we, we quickly become consumed with our inability, our, our lack of following those commands. And I hope it became quite clear. I hope, I hope it becomes clear as you walk through Portions like that of God's word that none of us have measured up, that none of us can obey such commands. But what a reminder that the context of Exodus is that God does not give these instructions as a way for his people to earn salvation before him. No, he gives them to his rescued people. He gives those to people who have been saved by his grace. And as we noted, and as many folks who have gone before have noted, the Ten Commandments can be subdivided into commands that uh, are about a vertical relationship with the Lord, commands that uh, unpack what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and then commands uh, five and following that uh, portray or or they uh, relate to uh, horizontal relationships among God's people. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to continue in Exodus uh, under the heading of loving God and neighbor. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to look at the, the chapters that follow the Ten Commandments because they begin to press into some of the particulars. You may think of the Ten Commandments like the Constitution for God's people. And then the commands that follow in chapter, the end of chapter 20 that we're going to look at today and then chapters 21 and 22 and 23 as particular case laws that apply those principles to particular scenarios and situations that will unfold in the lives of God's people. And they begin and end, those case laws begin and end by uh, describing right worship, proper worship. And so let's look at what God has to say about the right kind of worship. As you find your place there in Exodus chapter 20, let me invite you to join me standing uh, just for a moment as I read verses 22 through 26. Exodus chapter 20. Verses 22 through 26. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to, the, to my altar on steps. Or your private parts may be exposed. Bet you weren't expecting to hear that this morning. We'll talk about that momentarily. But let's bow and let's ask the Lord to help us and to guide us today. Father, we need you now. We pray that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that we would understand the truths of your word. And Lord, that we would be conformed more and more into the image of your Son, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. 
So right here in these few verses that come at the end of this chapter, the end of the giving of the Ten Commandments, God repeats the call that He's already given to His people in Commands 1 and 2 to worship Him alone and to worship Him in the right way. Church, if there is only one God, then we want to know Him. And if there is a right way for us to worship Him, then we want to know uh, what that is. We want to know if there's a right way to worship Him. God is ensuring that His people know Him and know how to worship Him. And what we're seeing here in this text is that God's people respond to His revelation with worship. God's people respond to His revelation with worship. In other words, his revelation, his self-disclosure, he reveals himself and the most clearest representative uh, of his uh, revelation, or or that didn't make any sense, that was terrible English, I think. The the, the clearest representation of God's revelation comes right here in his word, his specific instruction to his people. He reveals himself, his revelation, and the right response to his word is to worship him. Now his people here have heard from the Lord. Verse 22, he says, you've seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. God says, there's no way that you missed it. I spoke to you and, and now they're called to worship the Lord, the Lord alone. And so God repeats a summary of commandments one and two. No other gods and no idols. No silver or gold images of me or any person, place or thing that you may be tempted to worship for nothing on earth compares to the majesty of God. Nothing on earth compares to the majesty of God. Say nothing. Now say it so that people at home can hear you. Nothing. Nothing Nothing on earth compares, comes even close, friends, to the majesty of our God. In these few verses, God is distinguishing. This is what He's doing. He's distinguishing Israelite worship from the elaborate and pluralistic worship practiced by those in the land of Egypt from which they just came and uh, from the pluralistic uh, and elaborate expressions of worship in Canaan to which they are going. God is saying to his people, do not worship pagan gods and do not worship like the pagans. In other words, silver and gold and other shiny things make Capture your eyes, but the God of heaven transcends any object or image. He is sovereign and somewhat secretive. He is. He he is mysterious and majestic. He is holy and high above us. He is eternal and ineffable. Nothing on earth compares to the majesty of our God. And yet people, Paul says in Romans chapter 1, exchanged The glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, how foolish it is to exalt any creature, any creature to the position reserved for the creator and the creator alone. And how foolish it is to exalt anything, church, be it silver or gold, food or football, career, politics or pleasure to a position that belongs to God and God alone. And friends, where we have failed to do this, to give God what He alone is due, where we have allowed idols of any kind, any kind, to occupy space in our lives that is reserved for God and God alone, may we turn back to the living God. 
May we be a people who turn back to the living God. Let me ask you this morning, what, what are you hoping for? What is feeling, what is, what is feeling, what is filling your mind today? Where do you look for your sense of, of worth and joy and satisfaction? What gives you meaning? What are you counting on? What, what idols do you need to confess and run from in order to give Jesus Christ the Lord the position of supremacy in your life? The Spirit of God said through the prophet Joel to the people who were experiencing hardship as a result of disobedience. He said, even now, declares the Lord, even now, even even right now, even now, return to me with all your heart. Return and, and run after me with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart. In other words, be broken over over your sin against me, God says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is... Why would you return to Him? Because of His character. For He is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. It's abounding in love. And He relents from sending calamity. Who knows, Joel says. Who knows? He, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing. Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. In other words, in the original context, Joel is prophesying about a locust invasion and an army invasion and the the devastation of crops so that the people of God cannot give God what is due Him. And God says through His prophet, tell my people to repent and return to me and my compassion and my my grace. Who, Who knows? I mean, send an abundant harvest so that you can worship me in the right way once again. Friends, nothing on earth compares to the majesty of God. So let's turn to Him. Let's turn to Him, confessing our constant failures to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's be a people who worship Him in the way that He and He alone deserves. Let's worship Him with the right kind of worship. And we see here that the right kind of worship portrays a sacred simplicity. Right kind of worship portrays a sacred simplicity. What do I mean by that? Well, the good news, this is really good news. The good news here is that though God desires and expects obedience from us, He expects obedience from His people. Though, though He desires and expects obedience from us, He knows that we're sinners and that we'll disobey. I mean, really, consider the irony here, church. The previous chapter in chapter 19 with smoke and lightning and mountains trembling, God says, don't come any closer or you will die. God makes clear, telling Moses, his servant, tell the people, tell the people, tell the people, don't don't approach the mountain, put a barrier around the mountain because I'm coming down on the mountain and I am holy and they are not. Tell the people, don't come any closer or you will die. And then he unfolds the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of slavery. Uh, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You Honor your father and your mother. You shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. Now build an altar for sacrifice because you're going to do what you shall not do. God says you're going to sin. And so I am providing an avenue. I'm providing a way 
to atone for your sin and to continue welcoming you to be in relationship with me as my people. Friends, how incredible is the character and provision of our God? More on that in just a few moments. Let's look back at the text. Verse 24, God says, make an altar of earth for me. Then in verse 25, if you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. What's going on here? Well, once again, God is distinguishing the worship that he desires from his people with the worship that the pagans practiced. See, unlike their elaborate pyramids with steps, unlike their altars with carefully carved blocks and stones, unlike their impressive and ornate craftsmanship and costly materials, God says, make an earthy altar for me. Gather up a pile of rocks or stones. Make it natural. No impressive structures or decor needed. I think we might have an image that is one depiction of what this altar of stones may have looked like. Doug Webster says, he says, there was no art to building an altar. It was just a pile of rocks. The Lord insisted that the altar must not be turned into a shrine to human effort and religious pride. Whatever you do, the Lord said, in effect, don't work on it religiously. Keep it simple. It's just a pile of rocks. Worship me in humility and depend upon my mercy. There are no grounds for religious merit. It is a sacrifice laid on an altar of unadorned stones. In essence, God was saying, your worship must contrast with the values of the surrounding culture. There's no place for show in your worship. God is saying no building, no leader, no relic, no practice should detract from the centrality of worshiping our Savior through the simple and ordinary acts, church, of singing hymns and saying prayers, of bowing in confession, of observing the ordinances and giving offerings, of reading the word and hearing it proclaimed. I read a story this last week about an inmate who was preparing for pastoral ministry. And listen to how he describes his pulpit. He said, we as inmates come together to hold service and we rotate preaching and teaching. He says, I'm, I'm given the opportunity to teach two or three times a month. And I praise the Lord. We, we meet in recreation on one section of a bleacher of a baseball field and use a commercial trash can as our pulpit and pick stones up, little rocks up from the ground to be placeholders upon God's word so that the person teaching can uh, teach God's word for us. Church, God honors such a pulpit. A commercial trash can. He honors such a pulpit where the simple, faithful teaching of His Word is what matters most. As God's people are called to respond to His revelation with worship, and the right kind of worship portrays a sacred simplicity, and we see here that the right kind of worship promotes purity. The right kind of worship promotes purity. All right, back to that strange verse, verse 26. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. We're not going to camp out here, but suffice it to say that many pagan worship practices in the ancient Mesopotamian world and even later in the Greco-Roman world included things like ritual prostitution and other immoral practices that were closely connected with idolatry. Like the priests, even in that day, wore robes. God is saying to His people, no, no. 
Your worship of me is going to be different. There is no place for such acts among God's people. It's going to look different. Your, your worship leaders are to lead with modesty, to be characterized by purity. You are to worship me with purity. The right kind of worship portrays a sacred simplicity, and the right kind of worship promotes purity. And finally, we see here that the right kind of worship celebrates atonement. The right kind of worship, worship that honors God, proper worship is a worship that celebrates atonement. Verse 24, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Perhaps an appropriate question for us when we're evaluating a church gathering and whether or not the Lord is leading us to be part of a church family is what's, what's being celebrated. But what is the central focus? Is the atonement, sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, ultimately through the cross of Jesus Christ, front and center in that place, in that worship gathering. God gives some specific instructions here about what kind of altar, but the most important piece was what happened on the altar. The altar was a place of sacrifice. Sacrifice for sin. And again, God gives His people His law to reveal His character and to regulate His people's relationship with Him. But He knows, He knows, they have already and will continue to fail miserably at keeping His law. And so He provides an avenue of atonement. An avenue for forgiveness of sins. If you spend much time reading the Old Testament, particularly the book of Leviticus, then you know that there are a number of different types of sacrifice. But here, two are mentioned. Burnt offerings... And fellowship offerings. In a burnt offering, the whole animal was burnt to a crisp. Nothing left. It was a sacrifice of atonement, paying for the sins of the people. The, the altar was a place where God met with His people. A holy God met with sinful people. So any sinner coming before the holy God must offer a burnt offering where the smoke of the offering would rise up to God, signifying that a sacrifice has been made in place of the sinner. See, although the sinner deserved death, the wages of sin is death. The death of the animal, praise God, took the place of the death of the worshiper. That's a burnt offering. Another kind of offering is mentioned here. You see, on special occasions, the Israelites were to give fellowship offerings or peace offerings as an expression of thanksgiving to God for entering into relationship with them. In other words, because they've, they've been, their sins have been atoned. They've been forgiven. God has welcomed them to be His people. Fellowship offerings symbolized the peace that God's people had with them. And in those offerings, only the fat was burned, the choicest part of the animal, as a fragrant offering up to God, while the rest of the animal was cooked until tender and then eaten by the worshiping community as a feast celebrating God's amazing grace. Now here's the deal, church. Out of an abundance of caution surrounding the potential spread of the novel coronavirus, we have decided to temporarily postpone the animal slaughter portion of our worship gatherings. The sheep and the goats and the cattle, they are free to happily graze at least a few more weeks. No, that's not why, but praise God. Praise 
God. Church, that animal sacrifices have not simply been temporarily postponed. They've not been put off another week. They've not been put off another day. But have finally and fully been fulfilled and permanently ceased as a result of a greater sacrifice. Do you know about the greater sacrifice? For this same God who spoke through His Word through a storm on top of Mount Sinai has now, Romans chapter 3, verse 25, presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, the perfect and pure One to whom every God-ordained sacrifice pointed and in whom every repentant sinner may find permanent righteousness and peace with God Most High. He is the burnt offering church that made atonement for our sins, and He is the fellowship offering providing us peace with God. So when it comes to our worship, when it comes to the right kind of worship, when it comes to to proper worship, when it comes to practicing the right kind of worship, we demonstrate our love for the Lord God by remembering this Jesus, this sacrifice, by remembering Jesus and surrendering to Him. So, remember Jesus. Friends, remember Jesus. When we come together as a people of faith to sing songs of praise and to open His Word, may we be a people who always gather remembering Jesus. But not only when we come together. For worship is not something we only do when we gather as a body of believers, when we gather with brothers and sisters in Christ, but may we remember Jesus day in and day out, God's provision in Christ for you and for me. So as you lay your head on the pillow tonight, may you remember Jesus. As you wake up tomorrow and take on the task that God has given you for the day, may you remember Jesus. Parents, as you send your kids back to school and a different time, may you remember Jesus. As you're anxious or concerned about whatever the world may be throwing at you today, may you remember Jesus. May we remember Jesus. Remember His sacrifice on the altar of the cross for you. For without Him we cannot truly know nor worship God. Christ is Savior and Christ is Lord. So we remember Jesus and we surrender to Him. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Offer yourselves fully to Him today. Give Him your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all of you, to this gracious One who gave Himself for you. Respond to Christ today. If you've never responded to Christ for forgiveness of sins and salvation, then do so today by firstly acknowledging that you know you're a sinner. Saying, God, I I know I've, I've run from You. I've not lived up to Your standard of righteousness. I've certainly not been obedient to You. I'm a sinner in need of Your mercy. Acknowledge that you're a sinner and then express your desire to receive the Savior. But I believe in your word. I believe that Jesus, your son, indeed came and took on human flesh. That he lived just as we do. He was tempted and tried in every way, just as your word says. And yet he did not sin. And the reason that he came and that he did not sin was ultimately so that he could go to the cross and give his life. So that his blood could be shed for my sin, for my salvation. I want to follow him. Surrender to Jesus today and receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, believers, in view of God's mercy because of what He has done, 
in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Father, we want to worship you and you alone. Because you and you alone are worthy of our praise. And Father, we want to worship you as the only God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the right way, with the proper worship, worship that is befitting for the King of all kings, the Lord God Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. Lord, we want to worship and exalt your name in our hearts and with our lives in a way that exalts your reputation here in this place and in our homes and to the ends of the earth. Father, help us to do so. Lord, hear our prayer now. Receive our praise. Help us, the presence and guidance of your Spirit, express our faith in you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.